Welcome to the Fallout Podcast, episode 20, Double Figures, finally, aka Jingles Cabaret Mersey Beat. It's a fall crisis, all 525 songs in a direct encounter for a consummate, subjugator duel, cleaved into four ages, etc, etc. But tonight, we're doing something different, a little something that is no longer called between the cracks because it was too <laughs> it was too funny and now is called are you are missing winner uh maybe conveniently uh, and uh, confusingly and joined tonight is uh, Monsieur Pippington Beard Ace of Wands draped in cosmic boldness Carpe Diem how are you Phil? Very well thank you sir I am uh, the stars have aligned everything is looking good. Beautiful. Lord Sage Temple, carry on copping. How are Babs Valleys today? They're the precipitous. I get vertigo. Ooh la la. And I like it. The Pemberton Walker, ice clad on the ranges of the fringe of the true cockium. How are you, Al? All right. You know, I've uh, managed not to soil myself this week, so that's useful. Good. You know, it, it, it cuts down on the laundry at least, if nothing else. Yes. Yeah. Mm. And invisible Jay Peel tormenting us with his erudite opinion. Is he with us today, Phil? I feel his presence is strong today, Brendan. Good. And I'm the host. $2 entrance, one drink free. Pip, what is the fall? (laughs) (laughs) I see. He starts us off with the easy questions then. That's a very very broad and ambiguous question, Brendan. I'm assuming you're talking about the group. It's open to interpretation, isn't it? You know, there's a philosophical answer as well as it being a, a very enjoyable existential novella from the uh, from the Algerian goalkeeper. Exactly. So today, what we've done is we've chosen 16 songs that would have uh, not really appeared anywhere else, except for, hold on, that man's on Total's turns. All right, maybe it shouldn't have been in this list. But uh, other than that... Uh, all the other stuff is obscure, and you, Fall fan, might not have heard it all, but you probably have, haven't you, to be honest? Anyway, so we're going to rank all 16, and the top four will go head-to-head in two old-fashioned battles, with the top two going into the real competition with the big boys. Have you done your homework, chaps? I have. I'm a good, good. boy. Good, good, good. But before we get to that, we've got uh, Futures and Pasts. This week is on that most mysterious and cosmic of writers, Philip K. Dick, and it's Invisible Peel's turn to step up. And um, we'll get to hear his voice for the very first time. That's incredible. It is incredible, isn't it? Absolutely. Um, You've got to put the crystal on the rice paper, Brendan. It is. And Phil... Could you play what he says for us? Let me, uh, ah, yes, yes, yes. Okie dokie. I see how that works. Let me just, I mean, my eyes need to roll to the back of my head. And then I can just... To dot the pentagrams. Is that the right way around? Is that the right pentagram, that one? Are you using the sticky rice? 
Because, well, I asked you to bring the goat's blood, Al, but you seem to have let me down again because this is Tizer. Um, you know. Hang on. Oh, I can feel the energy's rising. Oh, don't, don't break the circle. The spirit forces are perambulating in the anti-clockwise Widdishins. You ready? Ready. If you ready. search for PKD and MES on Google, you'll see how much of a meme this link between the two names has become. In almost every obituary notice for Mark, PKD's name comes up alongside the other usual suspects. One of PKD's main preoccupations, the question of what is real, permeates Mark's lyrics, especially during the 70s to 80s. How I wrote Elastic Man tells of a person who went through an unknown mechanism. Some moment of inspiration produces something culturally relevant. Yet, immediately afterwards, he loses access to this source of inspiration and can't produce anything anymore. The PKD in question is inevitable. If the song Elastic Man didn't come from him, where or who did it come from? Another key pkd preoccupation is the insatiability of time and identity and how easily perception can be fractured. Wings tells of a chance and bizarre encounter that opens up impossible realms with new rules. Another, the horror of the hideous replica, the thing which seems to be familiar, but on close inspection is not. The inertia felt when reaching for a light switch that isn't there, being certain that a door should open one way when in fact it opens the other way. The mysterious bruise that appears after staying in a haunted place while more than usual pissed. Another thing that MES and PKD share is a love of the juxtaposition of the insane and the mundane. The bland and low social status man that stumbles upon a government plot. And in a ploy to curry social status with a neighbor, brings about swift retribution by mysterious forces. This extends to language as well. In UBIK, advertising slogans take on new meaning with every repetition and variation. MES's fascination with newspaper excerpts, scraps of discarded language, sometimes function in a similar way. On the less pleasant side, PKD seems to have become somehow uncomfortably convinced of the truth of some of his metaphysical speculations. I can't imagine how anyone could listen to his speech. If you find this world bad, you should see some of the others. Delivered in the late 70s in Metz, France, and not fear that the constant amphetamine abuse, among the other things, had caused some issues. The question is how much was truly believed and how much was a pose. I have found myself asking the same question about Mark over the years and wonder if there is a common cause. Oh, I'm quite the trance now. Oh my goodness, who would have thought that, that, the, after, who would have thought that the afterworld would have... Uh, would have affected his vocal cords quite so much, Phil. But, but very good, very good. What do you make of that, Phil? You're a big uh, Dick fan. I love Dick, yeah. It's, uh, it, it's probably my favourite thing, to be honest with you. Ezra, what about you? I, I was so blown away by the, um, the uh, flow and the delivery and the cadence that I was just thinking, why wasn't he the lead singer of The Fall? Um, but anyway, yeah, Philip K. Dick is fantastic. If you haven't read Philip K. Dick, you should. Brilliant. The, we are uh, nailing it, but but Peely did a good job, really, in setting out the stall. Um, Phil, he does, he does. There's, uh, yeah. there's, 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 there's tons of links, isn't there? And you can you can tell the sort of uh, kindred spirits, no pun intended. Um, the the interesting because oh, he's a because he's a ghost, right? Because that's what the K stands for in PKD. Ghost. Kindred. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, boom, it's, you got to think fast, Brent, got to think. I like the way 
the thing that always appeals to me about Philip K. Dick's fiction is the fact that he straddles sort of science and mysticism. That's to me, that's that's where all the energy is in his stuff. It's the fact that you've got all these sort of scientific tropes like time travel and that. And then, but fundamentally, what he's trying to do is write religious stories with Gnosticism being the sort of background of it all. But the other main thing is that speed sort of fuels so much of both the catalogue. I think um, it, it, it gives them a similarity in sort of interest and flavour as well. So, yeah, we all love PK. Yeah. Ah. Alistair, is it, you got any um, experience with uh, this, this chap? Uh, other than being told about him by Phil for years and years and years. Uh, Goes on, doesn't he? Uh, uh, yeah, but I, I don't really do fiction, you know. So, facts and uh, uh, so-called reality is, is, you know, scary enough. Never mind going into uh, the realms of uh, what goes on in people's brains. Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, you know, to me, definitely the the amphetamine thing, the hidden world thing, this is a strong correlation. And, you know, there's an obvious inspiration coming from Philip K. Dick into The Fall. I would say that the main the big difference is uh, Philip K. Dick always seemed to be searching for some kind of reconciliation. He always seemed to be searching for some kind of godhead that was the kind of godhead that, you know, if you like fluffy bunnies and like happiness and peace, that there should be. Whereas, you know, uh, The Fall and Marky Smith was more than happy to revel in just the sheer, sheer abhorrent abjectness of the fact that like everything is just really fucking shit. And, you know, I mean, I go, I go both ways. But yeah, I, you know, I would say that's the uh, big difference for me. He's an optimist, PKD, isn't he? It's, he famously slagged off Vonnegut for his kind of cynicism and pessimism when it came to um, the universe. And uh, I think Mark sort of straddles those two different texts, doesn't he, of the kind of mystic optimism as well as that kind of nihilistic pessimism of Vonnegut. Now, I knew even more, even more than Beefheart, we'd have to be careful with this not taking several hours. But uh, Peely has provided a, uh, a nice piece of text to exemplify his ideas. And uh, if you don't mind calling him back up on the, um, the spirit phone or whatever. On Ectosketch. There you go. Squint at the rice paper. Try splattering that tizer on it. <laughs> We can put everything we know together, he realised, but it doesn't tell us anything, except that something is wrong. And we knew that to start with. The clues we are getting don't give us a solution. They only show us how far-reaching the wrongness is. I think, though, he thought, we made a mistake in letting Bill Black walk off with that phone book. And what should we do now, he asked himself. Conduct more psychological experiments? No. One told him enough. The one he had conducted involuntarily in his bathroom... Even this last one had done more harm than good. It introduced confusion rather than verification. Don't confuse me anymore, he thought. I'm bewildered enough now to last me the rest of my life. What do I know for sure? Maybe Regal is right. We ought to pull out the big philosophy books and start boning up on Bishop Berkeley and whoever the rest of them are. He didn't remember any philosophy well enough even to know the names. Maybe, he thought, if I squeeze my eyes down near shut, so just a crack of light shows and I concentrate like hell on this bus, on the weary, hefty old woman shoppers. 
with her bulging shopping bags and the chattering schoolgirls and the clerks reading the evening paper and the redneck driver, maybe they'll all go away. The squeaking seat under me, the smelly fumes every time the bus starts up, the jolting, the swaying, the ads over the windows, maybe it'll just fade away. Squeezing his eyes together, he tried to dislodge the presence of the bus and passengers. For 10 minutes, he tried. His mind fell into a stupor. The navel, he thought blearily. Concentration on one point. He picked out the buzzer on the side of the bus opposite him. The round white buzzer. Go, he thought. Fade away. Fade away. Fade. Fuck. With a start, he awoke. He had drifted off. Self-hypnosis, he declared. Nodding off into a doze like the other passengers around him. Heads lolling together in time to the motion of the bus. Left, right, forward, sideways, right, left. The buzz stopped at a light. The heads remained at an even angle. Back as the buzz started. Forward as the bus stopped. Fade away. Fade. Back. And then, through his half-closed eyes, he saw the passengers fade away. Lo and behold, he thought how pleasant it was. No, it wasn't fading at all. The bus and its passengers hadn't faded a bit. Throughout the bus, a deep change had begun taking place. And like his experience in the store, it did not fit. It was not what he wanted. Damn you, he thought, fade away. The sides of the bus became transparent. He saw out into the street, the sidewalk and stores, thin support struts, the skeleton of the bus, metal girders, an empty hollow box, no other seats, only a strip, a length of planking, on which upright featureless shapes like scarecrows had been propped. They were not alive. The scarecrows lolled forward, back, forward, back. Ahead of him, he saw the driver. The driver had not changed. The red neck, strong, wide back, driving a hollow bus. A hollow man, he thought. He should have looked on poetry. He was the only person on the bus outside the driver. Bus actually moved. What's it from? Time out of joint, that. Right. All righty. Let us move on. Thank you, Peely, for sharing that, uh, sharing your thoughts on, on the, that influence on Mez. It's our bloody podcast if you're complaining that we shouldn't be doing this. We're the, it's our bloody podcast and we do what we want. <laughs> but now, on to the main event. So, here's the list in no particular order. We've got Afternoon Disco, Crack House, Gapper, He Talks, Countdown, Jazzed up punk shit, my condition, Ponto, pop stickers, brand new Cadillac, session musician, hungry freak's daddy, birthday, that man, blue Christmas, and perverted by language, the song. And we all did a vote, and we voted our top 16 points for our top and one solid sad point for our bottom. You want to take a guess which song came bottom by a long way? I already know. You already know, Alec. It was, it was Brand New Candlelight, which got 10 points. Al didn't give it any points because he forgot to put it in his list. Everyone else gave it one, and I gave it six because I quite liked it. The bottom four is Brand New Candlelight with 10 points, then Perverted by Language, the, the song with 24 then Birthday, the uh, Idol Race cover, uh, 26. And Hungry Freak's Daddy, the Zappa cover, 27. Phil, do you want to give us a blast of all four of those songs? And then we'll give a one-word review of each of those four songs. It was just very good when you were at Nancy, you know. I remember what one of the things was, I think, I talked to do with. You used to go around with those songs. Cadillac, dedicated to Vince Taylor. 
Okay, I'm going to give you the title of the song and you say your one word review. Is there a limit on syllables? No, no limits, as long as you can get it in one breath. Okay. <laughs> All right, so brand new Cadillac, Phil. Unlistenable. Ezra. Shit and what is made of ale. Alistair. Lisa. Nice. And I think lo-fi groove. Uh, and to answer your question, Ezra, Deeplydale was uh, like a free festival around the same time as the Bickershire one in uh, in Wigan. It was a couple of free festivals, I think, around uh, late seventies. Oh, the Bickershire was early seventies. I mean, how could you release that? The the performance sounds like it could have been good, but the quality is just execrable. You got you got to listen through the the, the shitty lo-fi production, and so like behind that, there's sort of some alright stuff. I was expecting Al to have this as his number one song. I really was. But um, okay, next up is Perverted by Language, the song itself. Phil. Cubio. Nice. Ezra. This is where the butthole surfers were born. Nice. Alistair. Um, can. And I've got drums. It is a good drum intro, but other than that, not much going on, right? Next, Birthday. Phil. Pleasant. Ezra. Who's singing? Alistair. All right. Decent cover. Better than original, I said. That's all one word. And I, I believe it's, um, I can't remember her name, was it Lucy something, who had done some backing vocals around that time for the fall. There's a couple of videos of them practicing. I think she's in on some of those practices. And uh, yes, but she didn't show up too often. And finally for this round, Hungry Freak's Daddy, Phil. Groovy. Ezra. This is great. Why, why, why didn't it get higher? It, it's up there with the best of the four covers. Alistair. I'd like to invert a cover by Bridget Bardo with this. Very nice. And I've got Pedestrian. Uh, Fuck off. <laughs> um, 
Hungry Freak has actually got uh, 27 points. Cadillac, 10 points. Pervert Balloon, 24. Birthday, 26. So the next four were He Talks with 28 points, Blue Christmas with 32 points, most of which came from Ezra. <laughs> Pop Stickers um, with 32 points and Gappa with 39 points. Um, I'll, you put Blue Christmas quite high as well. You had it fifth in your list. You had it top, Ezra. I'm going to come to you on that in a minute. It's fucking Christmas. <laughs> and uh, and everyone else had it bottom with Blue Cadillac. Um, okay, so Phil, he talks, Blue Christmas, Pop Stickers, Gapper. Hitters. <laughs> First up, uh, he talks, Ezra. Yeah, I like the tentacles coming out of the mouth on the YouTube clip. Very evocative. Alistair. Indra's the best one on it, functional. Philip. Extremely forgettable. Uh, for me, uh, failure to launch, decent jam. Next up, with 32 points, is Blue Christmas. Ezra, I'm going to give you three words. It's fucking Christmas. <laughs> Shouldn't he be pronounced? It's fucking Christmas! <laughs> it's fucking Christmas! <laughs> Sorry. Alistair. Sounds like fun. Yes. Does sound like a lot of fun. Phil? Bah, humbug. <laughs> <laughs> and I did say, fuck me, drunk as fuck, live, brilliant. But then I did get put it at the bottom of my list. <laughs> so, um, next up, pop stickers. Ezra. Yeah, I, I don't like the um, the other one of these, which is on an album. I've forgotten the name. So. Chuck Stock. Chuck Stock, yeah. Uh, and obviously that's better, but this is just more of the same and not that interesting. Fair enough. Al? Um, not bad. Bit annoying. Phil? Only the first time. <laughs> yeah. Funny, ditty, silly, decent pop cop. But uh, yeah, outstays its welcome fairly quickly. Um, and finally, Gapper. 
Ezra. What about us, ship man? Al. <laughs> Standard for the era. Phil. Meh. 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 Ramble. Decent Meh. era late tune. Undeveloped. Meh. Meh. Intro. They had this habit of intros that were kind of like they seem to be trying things out in the intro. And that one didn't stick around, didn't go anywhere. All right. So that now that's the bottom half taken care of. So now we're in the top half, the dizzying heights of numbers five, six, seven, and eight. So at number eight was Jazzed Up Punk Shit with 42 points. My Condition with 47. Countdown also with 47. Richard Whiteley, rest in peace. And just in the playoff zone, that man with 54. So Phil, if you can hit us up with Jazzed Up Punk Shit. My condition, countdown, and that man. to you first in this round jazzed up punk shit well, what's it was the uh, the restrictions uh, up to 30 seconds oh right yeah um, <clears throat> I think like there's a bit of recycling uh, going on there I think they've recycled that riff later on in their uh, career um, it's nice bit rough a uh, bit of a birthday party feel for it uh, to it um, and at the end it all falls apart <laughs> best bit Phil I'm a complete sucker for church organ. It totally reminded me of one of my favourite little B-movies, Carnival of Souls, which is just swamped with that church organ all the way through. And I, I, I love that song. I, I'm a bit disappointed this didn't get top uh, four, to be honest with you. Yeah, where did you, you put this? Uh, you put this number four in yours, Phil. So uh, had you given it top? It, uh, it still wouldn't have made it. It was well off the mark, but uh, it's, it's a nice tune. Ezra, what do you reckon? Well, my first thought was that it should have been called Punked Up Jazz Shit. And, you know, now that I'm unfit and working again, I don't always have the right amount of time to give to tracks equally. So if they don't grab me from the get-off... And it, it felt to me like there was a bit more to this baby than I was giving it credit for, but it didn't get an opportunity to sink its jaws, its fangs into me. Fair enough. It it is a nice kind of angular kind of sound, and um, 
I think Jazzed Up Punk Shit is the least Fall S title I've ever heard. Don't think it quite takes off. And it, it does sound a lot like, you know, Hex era or Room to Live era. It could have, with a bit of work, you know, ended up on um, Room to Live for sure. Not bad. Not bad at all. Um, next up is My Condition album. It's nice, yeah. Uh, it reminded me a bit of, uh, you know, Older Lover or something like that. Uh, but it kind of like lacked a little bit of a, a progression. There's definitely something there that is underdeveloped again. I think uh, this is like a theme that we we're going to be hitting today, really, which is the, these are the ones that weren't cared for quite as much as the other ones. Uh, but, you know, if they'd have put that bit of energy into it, it could have been something that had been quite nice and reminded me a bit of Cary Grant's wedding at times. Yeah, definitely. Phil, how about you and my condition? Yeah, take it easy, make it snappy. I, I really like it. To me, it sounded like something that could have come off Dragnet. Um, I, I really, really like the production on it. But it's there's a, there's a certain stage you get to when you're putting songs together, isn't it, where you've just got to call it. If it's not working, you've just got to call it. And it's, it struck me that it was probably one of those songs where it just didn't feel right to play. Fair enough, yeah. Ezra, what about you? Yeah, I really liked this one. And the main reason that I really liked it was more for its, you know, as a sonic artifact, because the wow and flutter on the, what I presume is the tape recording, really perfectly complements the guitar riff. And it's, it's so fucking nice. You know, like as a musician, I do lots of stuff with samples and I'm absolutely going to sample that because I think, you know, you could do great stuff with it. But I, I, I digress at the same time as blowing my own trumpet. Um, on the annotated fall, it kind of makes a claim that it's a kind of maybe a proto version of A Figure Walks Beside You, which I didn't hear at all. But, hmm. Yeah, I didn't hear that. I read that. I didn't. I didn't hear that. But I really like this one. I put this as, as number two on my list. I think um, I, I really like the angular kind of guitar. I was talking about pavement last week, and I think it, it's very similar. Uh, you know, you can see that blueprint that they took from. Um, yeah, it could have been a stormer, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you, Phil. I think at some point they decided to call it, or it got lost in the mix or whatever. But it really could have. Um, could have been a, a top notch, and I think that's what we're finding now in this in the, this little group here, five, six, seven, and eight. It's songs that, with just a bit more of a push, uh, they might have done something special. I think this is definitely one of them. Yeah. What about um, countdown then, Al? Yeah. Yeah. Put your clothes back on, Carol. Um, yeah, it's where we all came to it. Numbers. Uh, it's not fast. Give it a seven. Fair enough. Phil. Yeah, it's an instrumental, isn't it? So it's uh, it, it's going to suffer given the sort of scoring criteria we've been developing over the course of this. But it's uh, I, I do like the riff. It's a good riff. Yeah, Ezra. Yeah, I mean this would be perfect at a gig, you know, and it, it it just seems like the kind of track that you might pull off if the lead singer wants to go behind the bass cabinet and you know have a couple of lines of speed or something, get that bottle of whiskey from the dressing room. You know, yeah, so it's it's great, but something that I would probably enjoy 200 times more at a gig than listening to at home. Yeah, but it's another nice, uh, wiry, fast rocking tune. And apparently the Hanley Brothers, after, after uh, the fall was done and dusted for them, did a band called Ark. And uh, they used this on one of the uh, tracks, but it's not streaming anywhere. I couldn't find what they did with it. But um, I'd be interested to see Smith's vocal over it because it doesn't sound like it'd fit. 
But uh, as, as far as instrumentals go, nice for sure. And then fifth place in the list, only two points below the next one. So if anyone had given this a little bit more love, it might have got into the top four, and that is that man um, is off Total's terms. You know, I regret nothing. Alistair, that man. Yeah, I quite like sort of replacing that man by Batman and just singing it through my head that way. And, uh, you know, Batman loves you. Batman cares for you. That's very reassuring. Batman um, is a heathen? Come hey, on. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't find my notes for it, but, yeah, it was all right, you know. Fair enough. Phil Rigby? Yeah, I, I I know this song really really well. It's perhaps one of the simplest songs that they've ever done, isn't it? Uh, and it's it's quite obviously a, a bit of a tongue-in-cheek homage to the Beatles, but done with a bit of folly, styly kind of uh, tag. It's all right. It, ne- it never gets boring, but it's 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 not quite sort of top tier, is it? Yeah. How about you, Ezra? <laughs> those those girls I was mentioning have just come back. Um, Hooray! Anyways. <laughs> Yeah, no, like, at first, when I heard this, I got some great Shangri-La's energy from it. And, you know, I love the Shangri-La's. I love any, all of that kind of gold band stuff. Going on to the annotated fall, I, I saw that it was maybe conceived as a kind of rip-off of the Beatles or a specific Beatles tune. And then listening to it again, maybe I can hear that. Um, but, yeah, lyrically, it was really fun. And it, it's an outlier. Um, I think it's pretty legit. Yeah, would it would it be uh, this this boy? Is that uh, what, what they're aping the Phil? You reckon? Yeah, good. <laughs> um, I really liked it, and uh, I I got bits of uh, doo wop and bits of um, uh, Why Do Fools Fall in Love, which he famously uh, apes at some point later. When it, what song is it where he says, "Tell me why"? He talks about Frankie Lyman. Oh. Yeah, a packet of these 50... Oh, Christmas special. for John Keys. Yeah, yeah. I really liked it, but it is an anomaly because it's just a total pop song parody. And um, it's one of those that you can... You, it's one of those that you can put on the um, on the mixtape, but I don't think it, be, it can be sanctioned officially. So that takes us now to the top four. We have Crack House came in fourth with 56 points. Afternoon Disco came in third with 62. Ponto second with 64. And Session Musician, the, the runaway winner with 73 points. Now, we're going to change it up a little bit here. So what we're going to do is we're going to do uh, the first round is going to be uh, the song that came second against the song that came third. So that will be Ponto against Afternoon Disco. So if you, if you play the snatch of Ponto, if you don't mind, Phil. So this was recorded about 2007 and, would have, and eventually came out on the Imperial Wax Expanded Edition. 
Phil, I'm coming to you first. What is your take on Ponto? I think the, the first thing that jumps out to me is the lyrics with this, bizarrely enough, because it's um, I, I just love where he's going with it. It really reminds me of a kind of Chemical Brothers type chorus, that whole sort of hey boy, hey girl kind of thing that he's got going on with it. Um, and I, I, I really like the verse. I think the verse is really strong, especially the production on it. I think that works really well. And then it kind of goes into a bit of stock, punky rock chorus, doesn't it? Sort of shout a word out and strum away. But um, I, I, I think the lyrics are very clever on it. That was the, that was the main thing that jumped out to me. And I, I love that line where he says, if you're not afraid of your love, then why not shout it from the rooftops and bring the town together? Because it sounds like it should be so positive, and yet it just drips cynicism and snarl when he says it, doesn't it? You can imagine him looking at two people getting off with each other and just, ah, be so in love. Be so in love when you shake it. Bring everyone together. Take a bloody yeah. picture. <laughs> so it's, I do like it, although I feel the, the chorus is the weakest thing for me of, of all the uh, of all the song, but it's, uh, it is a good one. Yeah, absolutely. Um and could, if taken at face value, they are a Motown-esque, straight-up, uh, beautiful lyrics. Ezra, so Ponto came in second, and you had it at seventh, but uh, what, what do you make of it? Well, yeah, you know, I, I thought it was real good. Um, it's not quite Blue Christmas. It's interesting in that it, it's got such a kind of math rock vibe, and it's got that kind of almost dance hall kind of beat coming in it, it's an outlier as so many full songs are but it's not an outlier in the same sense as uh, succession man let's say or uh, four and a half inch or uh, ten faces of eve which are just delicious this is you know them kind of going into a kind of well-worn kind of like cliche albeit a cliche much you know much more contemporary um and it just sounds, and you know, I just don't like math rock, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Each to their own, Ezra. No judgment here. Alistair, would you make a ponto? It was all right, yeah. Um, for the, the era, it weren't bad. I don't, but I quite like the, uh, the sort of dance hall attack rhythm thing that goes into it and the math rocky bit. It's, yeah, the, the punky bit that gets a little bit uh, boring and it's uh, a little bit unimaginative at times. Um, yeah, I think I'm with you, especially when he gets to the chorus, it gets a little bit generic, but I did like, I picked up on the kind of math rocky or the angular kind of uh, rhythms in the verse, and I, I really liked it. That's I, Like I said, I put it as my top choice. Obviously, it's well produced, and I, I can't believe it didn't go on the album because I think it would have... So this has gone up against mo many of the songs that we've, um, that, that we've talked about from that era. It would have done really well against them. Go strong F really fit for from that album. Uh and yeah, it is very surprising that it's not on there because it, it does sound quite competent and it, it you know the, the bits where it does kind of like let itself down a little, it's still kind of on the, the looking at it as a as a whole, it's not bad. Yeah. Ponto, the drift is inexplicable. Your only fear is a letterbox, and that is what he dreads, even in dreams. Are you frightened by the weather or just scared to get wet? You are a black warrior to the quiz show. Caller, and I'm an internet user. Pretty good, lyrically, and um, yeah, not bad at all. 
Um, what does Peely think about this when he's going to weigh in at this point in the proceedings, I think? So he's, he's scratched the following on the wall. I like this one. You can definitely tell it's from the IWS period and the chorus sounds a bit too much like Wolf Kid Ultman. They're not really any better than anything on the excellent side too of that LP. I really like the punchy drum sound in this mix. It sort of feels like it's going to kick in at some point and raise the tempo. And every time it just slots back into the what is your fear thing. Maybe could have done with a bit more development. Good track overall, though. And way better than some of the treats we've listened so far on this podcast. It's true. And so it's up against Afternoon Disco, which seems to be from the same sessions. It's also another uh, pretty much finished studio song. Give us a blast of Afternoon Disco, if you don't mind. Official offer, malefaction unofficially, paper and procedure from Big Wheel, won't they? Left with official keeps swimming. I get Ezra, I'm coming to you first. You had this in your fifth place. What do you make of Afternoon Disco? Well, you know, I mean, the way I came to know this tune is is really interesting um, because, you know, last week at the end of the last podcast, you told us what we would be doing for this podcast, for this episode, and you gave us the playlist. And so this was the first track on the playlist. And so being, as you said, this was like, you know, from the kind of like dark Sephiroth of the whole fall oeuvre. I had very low expectations of sound quality, first of all, but also of song quality. And then I play this and I'm like, well, this sounds like any other fall song that could have been here on an album. Um, And so, yeah, you know, at first I really was quite digging it, but listening to it again and again, I find that there's a bit of a kind of a mojo rock feeling to the music um i do really like the lyrics you know i, I love the uh there's official awful manufactured unofficially wouldn't let them in a barn dance you know there, there's some there's some prime fucking lyrics here but musically you know to be honest the uh, earlier one ponto was better and i did you know i did more that a bit but partly that was because i left my notebook in the next room and i was suffering from some social anxiety so i do apologize accepted and as your pod boss you know i'm glad that you appreciate that the uh, that the playlist was delivered in a timely fashion um alistair what do you make of afternoon disco um yeah it seems really quite competent it's uh, quite well put together some really good sort of dynamics in there the way that you know, like they, they move from one thing to another. Uh, the progression seems to work well. Like it all kind of makes sense and feels right in that respect. Rhythm section really reminds me of uh, of Blockheads. Uh, it's got that kind of feel to it. Yeah, it's very competent and likable, and it reminds me a bit of something you could possibly use in a, a sort of a, a cop theme uh, from a, a film or a TV program. But yeah, quite liked it. I thought you were surprised that that's not on an album. Yeah, 
Absolutely, and it's similar era to the last one. So maybe they just because it was the, the new band with the lads, right? So maybe they had lots and lots of uh, songs flying around at that point. Uh, new love, honeymoon period, and all that. Mm. Um, Phil, what do you make to afternoon disco? I found it starting to irritate me after a while. To be honest with you, I couldn't quite put my finger on who it reminded me of as I was listening to it. I was thinking first, Nile Rogers, that like that really sort of tinny guitar sound. And then it struck me last night as I was giving it to my sort of sixth or seventh listen. It was in excess. That's what it reminded me of. And it's and I don't mind in excess. I think they've done some good songs, but it was too in excessy for me. Yeah, I mean I did like bits to it. Papers and procedures. There's some really nice deliveries from from on some of the singing. And it's a really tight performance, isn't it? I want you so much, you make me sick. And all that kind of stuff is great. More slagging off of bald idiots, though, I see from the mark, which is uh, duly noted. But um, but yeah, I, I, I did find that twangy guitar just a little bit too great. Decent, funky, indie rock, you know, high-quality recording. I think Smith's the best thing about it. I think he, he steps up and he's got a, a decent vocal, decent lyrics. Doesn't really do much, but I do like the lyrics of plague-ridden officials keep swimming on small island part of town. A bleachified played up so much you could see the teeth falling out. And then uh, bald-headed idiots wouldn't let him in a barn dance. He's not letting that go, is he? This is 10 years later as well from the last one. <laughs> Anyhow, all right, what does Peely think? And then we'll take a vote. So Peely says, this is an absolute gem. I'm not sure which album it could have been on, but for my taste, this is so much better than at least one song on every album post-CLC. It's just a really tight little pop gem of a track with a really coherent and together performance. This is what the demo sounded like, dear Mr Cherry Red. Can we have more of this, please? Indeed, indeed. And so now it's come to uh, make the decision. One of these will be heading into round two with the big boys and one will be going into the second chance bag. So where are you going, Phil? Are you going Ponto or Disco? Uh, it's got to be Ponto for me, I think. Ezra? Well, I've got three things to say. The first is, it, it slipped my mind, but I would have liked it if we could have got more into the kind of cultural uh, existence in the UK of such a thing as an afternoon disco. And also, We have time, Ezra. Please, please feel free to uh, elaborate on that. Well, they're obviously a thing. And, I, you know, I've, I've heard of toddler discos at three o'clock in the afternoon, but we're all toddlers now. Which leads into my next point, which is I'm sure that you're very well aware of Adam Curtis and his oeuvre of documentaries. And I'd like you to reflect on the things Adam Curtis says in his documentaries when you next sequence a playlist for YouTube. And with that, in light of that, my vote is for Ponto. Good. All, all duly noted and that uh, makes perfect sense. The afternoon disco session, those did get really popular in London town. Phil, you might attest to this. Didn't you DJ some of these afternoon disco sessions? But there's there's a few different things that are coming to mind. There's, I, I remember taking my, my daughter to uh, an afternoon rave 
in Liverpool. And didn't Giles Peterson make a big thing about doing afternoon gigs as well when he was uh, promoting some of his jazzier stuff? I seem to remember that being a big thing in the in the nineties in, in London as well. I do remember a time when toddler raves were a thing. I think that's probably shortly before I left the UK. Got the uh, video for Rock Full Up Remix, is it? Uh, Happy Mondays, where they got all them kids dancing in the uh, in the Hacienda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which way are you leaning, Alistair? Ponto or Afternoon Disco? Afternoon Disco, please. Ooh la la. Peel is in his list. He has put Afternoon Disco in second and Ponto in third. I, however, am going for Ponto, which does uh, turn the tide and means that Ponto goes through. Hooray. The drama. And so that brings us to, because this is a real bracket, this is number one against number four. So Session Musician with 73 points and uh, Crack House with 56. However, it, it might be a bit closer than we think given those numbers because a few people put um, uh, Session Musician way up high and Crack House low. So, uh, so let's see. Give us a blast of Session Musician first, if you don't mind. One day he'll be recognized as a great talk prophet that he am the bad link. One day they'll be seen as the geniuses they am. One day he'll get the presents of the good sultanos. Make the press and stick to our minds. Become a social musician. So this did emerge victorious, but that doesn't mean it goes through. Alistair, I'm going to start with you. What do you make of Session Musician, Al? It's a, a good walking tune, isn't it? It's a nice plodder from the, the era. Studio, is there a studio version of this as well? Um, I don't know, because this is the version that's on Hex, the expanded edition. Right, okay. Uh, but it gets really, really good. It's, it's, it's quite a long one, isn't it? And um starts off quite sort of pedestrian, quite a plain, nothing too threatening. It progresses, it gets into some sort of like nasty kind of country teasers type groove. And as the jamming goes on, it gets more interesting. Um, I really, really like this one, uh, but I really like the sort of jammed out feel to it. So there you go. Uh, you put this in second place, Al. Um, I think very nice, but yeah. I really like, uh, the, the, like the improvisational feel to it uh, nice. and the role. Cool, cool. Uh, Phil, what do you make of Session Musician? You had this as your top choice. I, I think it's astonishing, this. I really do think it's a, an amazing track. I, I think it's like like we heard in the little clip then, it starts off quite obviously in some pub back room being played by lo-fi kind of band setup. And then just something magical happens to it, sort of about three minutes in, really, where you start to you start to realise that it's just gone epic without you realising it, and it takes on this huge sort of majestic feel to it all. I, I, I really, I, I thought it was absolutely amazing how it started off with that kind of drunk croony mark and builds into triplets. He, he does get a little bit John Lydon in places, I think, um, and and we even get some ooze 
from Mark as well in, in a, his sort of but in, in the way that only Mark could do it by overdriving the microphone completely as he does it, which just sounds magnificent. Yeah, and then you, you got this section about three and a half minutes into it. There's a 30 second section where these amazing drum patterns start coming in, so it gets really complicated musically. And there's all kinds of weird time shifts going on with it. And it, it, it enters like a second movement about five minutes into the song where it's it's just turned into this, you, you're somewhere else. They just take you somewhere else. And it really reminded me of some of the discussions we've had about energy and this kind of shamanic band leader kind of thing. It's it's magical. I think it's a really, really magical piece. Yeah. And then at the end of it, of all things, you get these sinister kazoos coming on. But it's, 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 it's kind of corny and funny and yet darkishly sinister at the same time where something bad is going to happen. Um, and I, I, I think the... It's another typical Mark thing. It's one of his targets, isn't it? Like session musicians and bold people. And then, you know, it's it's one of his targets. So, yeah, but I, I loved it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I praise indeed. And uh, Sinister Kazoos, it is uh, quite a feat to, to make Kazoos sinister. <laughs> Although they are grating, aren't they? Ezra, what do you make of a session musician? This, well, this you came know, into I, your top four. Number three you had it at, right? I think it's just a shame that this isn't a Christmas song, really. You know, that's the only criticism I really have of it because it, it's such a, you know, it's hands down, legit, excellent fall, this. I, I do really like it. Um, the playlist I the well the ranking I did last night was done on a drunken whim while I was doing my cock in van, and so you know you shouldn't take any of that too seriously. Um, yeah, I, no, take it, I take it very seriously, Ezra. Well, I did at the time, but you know I'm I'm saying that the Ezra you're talking to now maybe he sees a degree of folly. I, I get you. Ezra, Parallel universes. Ezra, can you tell us who we're talking to now? Which Ezra are we, are we dealing with now? He's fine. We're all fine. Taxi but driver anyway, Ezra. I think, you know, one of the really nice things about this song is that he, you know, he really cleaves the difference between professional and amateur in my understanding of those words, regardless of whether you're getting money from the thing it is that you're doing. And I don't, you know, I hate to sound like Steve Jobs, but I think there's a big difference between what he's getting to in this song and what that fucking idiot was getting to when he said, oh, everybody should do what they love the most or whatever it is those fucking Americans say. And before I get too racist, I'll stop. I think every word you said there was, was, uh, was well considered and uh, essentially made, a, made a, a point that nobody can really argue with. And uh, whichever Ezra we're talking to, he's, he's the one that I want to keep. Jingles Cabaret Mersey Beat. I love it when he's, <laughs> he just starts shouting that and do beat and synthesizes. <laughs> that by itself paints a beautiful picture. He, he'll wish he did his own songs and not cover versions of the Velvet Underground. I thought at times that was a little bit rich. <laughs> um, my only criticism really is, it, it, as, as satire goes, it's not really that funny, unlike something like the English scheme, which genuinely is funny. Our Cary Grant's wedding has its moments. It, it didn't really make me me laugh, but it, it was, I mean, it's great. It's a great bit of, uh, of, of piss take um, of people he would have run into a lot around that time. A good hope for him would be a trip to Abu Dhabi, pop music for Arab geeks. 
Because I, I wondered whether he's referring to, because I think this was still a bit early for like um, Middle Eastern sheikhs to to fly out, like Britney Spears. I'm mean, obviously not Britney Spears at this one, but pop stars like her to do private parties. You know, it's a big. A big uh, I doubt it. Actually, I think that's been going for a while. Eh? Yes, I'm guessing he's referring to this. It was never recorded in the studio, which is unbelievable, to be honest. But. Um, the, it brings into this idea of which version is more canon because there's multiple versions with multiple versions of lyrics and one that I like that I got off the annotated fall is um, not even <laughs> this song, so I'm not going to read it. <laughs> <laughs> he talks about wolverines in this and it, like slates, wolverine seems to be a, a term he occasionally throws in to mean kind of like music industry scumbags but anyway nice song what does paley think on his spooky something <laughs> so he says this is the best track of the lot and one i heard earlier in my own fall travels because i started listening around the time the castle reissues were happening and this was on cd2 of hex it straddles the style of hex and the album just prior like a magnificent bastard. The intro sounds like his heart organ was where it should be. And then it goes into grotesque-esque feeling janglier. The jingles cabaret Mersey beat bit with a kazoo solo sounds almost like proto-RTL. Grinding and dragging itself along and then building and building. It's just great. Yeah, I think he's spot on. And I wonder whether the change between grotesque and hex meant that this didn't really fit anymore because I think it would have fit perfectly on Grotesque. Yeah, actually, I have a question. Um, do we know if this was... Because the only reason I could think of for not releasing this on an album was that, like, it was... It came up in the around the same time that they were going into Hex Induction Hour. Because I can understand. It sounds like, like that. If you go... That on Hex Induction Hour. It's a great track, but I can't see how it would be good in the context of Hex Induction. Yes, yeah, so there's that site Reformation that lists when songs were played, and, and this was played in between the two albums in 81 and 82 a couple of times. And um, yeah, I've got a, uh, that's the only thing that I can make sense in my head, that the, the style had changed and moved away from this, this kind of uh, straight-up parody kind of song. Yeah, a year earlier, it might have ended up on Grotesque. But still, it was our favourite song, but that doesn't mean it's going to win. And it's up against Crack House, which Al had as his top. And uh, Phil had in, in number two spot. So um, some love for this song. Give us a blast of Crack House. So Smithy does show up at some point, but this is kind of one of those intro songs as well where they, they give a nice long run in and you can imagine him wandering around the stage for a bit before uh, launching into We Are The Fall from Long, Long, Long. Alistair, you put this as your number one choice, I believe. <coughs> yeah. <coughs> uh, well, it really reminds me of uh, 
uh, Barry Gray stuff, actually, and I'm a huge Barry Gray fan. Um, would have been really nice to have had, like loads of sort of like militaristic t- kind of toms over the top of it to give it a bit more of a Thunderbirds theme. But proper reminds me of the Mysterons theme. Um, and uh, you know, they, like you said, the long intro thing that's definitely going on. You can imagine him going around the stage, pissing around with people's amps and stuff like that um, with his carrier bag. Um, but yeah, when the vocals do come in, they, 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 again, it adds another dimension to it. It just, well, it improves it instantly, like, but it's um, really nice. It, I, I like the bass on it. Um, I think the drums could have been a bit better, but it's a good one. Nice, nice. Phil, you like this one, right? Number two. Yeah, I like this a lot. I, I, I thought, um, I just think it drips with atmosphere. I think it's it's so... It's so Mancunian as well. It really feels in a city to me. I can imagine listening to this in the in the car as I'm driving through Manchester, maybe at night, the rain on the windscreen, the lights kind of merging and all that. It's just got that inner city vibe to it all, which I, I, I really, really enjoyed. And then I, I think when <clears throat> I thought I'd timed it right then for a bit of Mark, but uh, when Mark actually comes onto it, it's... Um, it's nothing particularly mind blowing, but it's just right for what it needs. I think in terms of give us a, a give us a blast, Phil. Give us a blast. So he is on it. <laughs> takes his time to show up, doesn't he? Because it's yeah, it's 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 more textual, I think, isn't it, than uh, than anything particularly insightful. Um, but I, I, I really like the the sleazy, brooding nature of it, and the, the kind of soundscape that they develop. It reminded me a bit of Peter Gunn. Uh, I've written here Peter Gunn confidence Alan Bowie via the United Drug Dealers of Hume was the way that it kind of uh, struck me. And I love the electronics on it as well. I, I think the, uh, I thought it was keyboard at first, there might be some keyboard on it, but as, as I was listening more and more, it, it felt like um, electronic and, and pre-programmed stuff that was probably playing over top of it. And that bass, red big, ballsy, raspy bass all the way through, it's fabulous. Yeah, I really liked it, really liked it. And so this is Leviton, it might have been Hanley still playing and like his last stuff that he did with the the band. Ezra, what do you make of a crack house? Well, who could ever say no to a crack house? And Very Moorish. Also, um, this is like, for me, I mean, you know, once you get past the, the kind of the well-established greatness of the early fall, this is the Goldilocks zone for me. And, you know, this is purely just what I really like, but you know, this uh, sequence of light user syndrome, levitate and the martial suite, there's so much greatness in there. And this really represents that greatness. And um, yeah, you know, it's got a lot of that kind of sound with the great fucking synthesizer on it. And there's a great um, interpretation of some of the lyrics here uh, from the annotated fall, which uh, Elvis Tromsky, apparently wrote but just kind of imagined but the the you know the 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 kind of what's the word i don't know i'll i'll get back to you with that word but here i'll just read it yeah, we'll just drop, we'll drop it in we'll drop it in erudite to hell 
not erudite, but to hell, you, respect elves, XL, pre-dying house in FR, he was average, out of town, you're a foul, whoop, when the cat growls, XL, pre-jail. And when the cat growls, it's just great, isn't it? I mean, it is, it is, uh, Ezra, I agree. So that's it. It's not actually what he sung, probably, because that fella just made up, which is the beauty of it, I think, mm. because I've written down guest lyrics, as in just made up by someone who listened to it, which is beautiful in, in and of itself. Um, I like the fact that uh, because it was never recorded and, and we only have this to go off, that we are allowed to just uh, think whatever. Although Nagel did weigh in and apparently said that it does have a Three Little Pigs, a house that Jack built theme. Um, this is the dose era, so he kicked out those uh, dose lads, the Inch Boys, when they only did about three tracks. And we've loved every one of the tracks they've done so far, included Ten Houses of Eve and um, Spencer Must Die, I think, with the with the, all the samples in. Uh, yeah, what an album that Levitate could have been if those had stayed around longer. It's a good album anyway, but uh, yeah, I love the icy synth and the, the spooky half steps and um i uh, regret scoring it so low but had i scored it higher it would have gone up against ponto so uh maybe i've given it more of a chance or less who knows what does peel think so decoding the message no this is nice enough as an intro until mez gets on stage i think the bit where the keys kick in is pretty good and the bass is as you would expect massive i'm surprised to see it in the top four of the group though I don't think it really does much of anything for about 70% of the runtime. Would be great in person, but no, I'm not too bothered by it. Fair enough. So it's time to vote and see which one of these boys goes through to the next round. Yeah, Phil, were you going session musician or crack house? Session musician. Yes, nice. Alistair? I'm going to go crack house. Interesting. Ezra? Oh, Brendan, I can tell that you do need to watch some Adam Curtis documentaries. Uh, I, what was I saying? You were saying something oh, nice about my uh, beard, I think. Oh, yeah, no, that was it. Yeah, you know, like, if if it was Philip K. Dick who had directed those Adam Curtis documentaries, if this was the world we were living in, then it would have been Crack House against Ponto and Session Musician against uh, that other one, Afternoon Disco. Um, but being that this is the world that we live in, I'm going to have to go for Session Musician. I'm very yeah. upset. And the irony in that is, had you not put Crack House at six, the, <laughs> have you not put Blue I'm well aware of the irony. <laughs> <laughs> um, session Musician it is then. Um, and it sounds like Peel has gone for Session Musician, so my vote does not count. Um, so Session Musician goes through along with Ponto, which were one and two in the bracket. So that does make sense. And so um, it was all for naught. We might have, might as well just totted up the scores and just done it. But whatever. We filled an hour of everyone's lives, didn't we? So um, next week, back to the normal, uh, the grind, the slog, if you will, the beautiful life. Joined by Paul Static, hopefully. said he's going to be around, so um, that should be a fun one. Um, anything to add, chaps? Oh, I enjoyed too much. Exactly. That's what I was thinking. Oh. <laughs> 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 <laughs>